Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast. Wherever you find yourself today, you belong here. And we hope that this word uplifts and inspires you in your daily life. Here's this week's message. All right, good morning. It's good to be together. You know, I've been gone for a couple of weeks, or at least I haven't been up here in a couple of weeks, and, uh, and it's so good to be back. Like, I'm just so excited to be with you. But uh, speaking of not being up here, the people who were up here, though, they deserve some props. I've been super blessed listening to their messages that they gave to us. Can we give them a shout out? Come on, Dylan and JC, bringing it. If you haven't had a chance to listen to those sermons that are online, check them out. Uh, it was so good. Uh, uh, for my soul. Thank you, JC, for ministering to my soul. And I know it ministered to you as well. I've heard lots of positive, great feedback from the last couple of weeks. But I'm back, baby. I'm ready to go. I'm so pumped up to to be here with you guys um, because we're kicking off a brand new series this morning. We're kicking off a series. Is, Is that okay? Is this? Are we good? Okay, we're good. But we're kicking off a series uh, out of a book of the Bible, a book of the Bible that uh, maybe you've read through because it's a short book, but it's got a lot of content. So we're going to really ride this thing out through the month of June. So I hope you're with us. Hope you stick with us uh, through this study because we're just really excited about what God is going to do as we allow his work to conform us, his word to conform us and to work through us. So are you ready for that ride? Are you ready to allow God? Because I see that that posture is already happening as we got into this time of worship, as we've been singing these songs of freedom, and we've been asking the Lord to have his way and to make room. This is that. This is us putting those words to practice. As we get into God's word today, that we're going to say, God, we're making room for you to have your way through your word. So if that's your heart, if that's your posture, then let's, let's, let's just confirm that in a moment of prayer. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we are in this posture of saying, God, have your way. Let your word work through my heart, in my heart, so that, Lord, it would reflect your heart. So, God, I ask you for that in Jesus' holy name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been with us at Grace Church for a while, and you've heard us teach, you know that, that context is important to us. We like to do a bit of research. We like to, before we dive into any passages of scripture or as we study through a book, we like to, to, to give a little background. We, we like to uh, understand it for the, uh, the intent of understanding who the author was, who was the original audience. And so as we're getting into this book today, it's kind of that intro, kind of understanding, okay, what is this about? before we dive in. I think that's important for us. Now, what you need to know is that the book of James, or I should say the letter of James, was, was, was the first letter that was circulated around the early church. I don't know if you knew that, uh, but it was the first letter from a church leader given to all the Christians that were following Jesus after Pentecost, after the day of Pentecost. Which do you know that today we're, we're, we're marking, this is Pentecost Sunday. Come on, somebody, be excited for that, right? It's a good time to remember our roots and, and, and the movement that happened through the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came upon the believers and they were filled with God's Spirit and able to go out into all the world and follow God's commission. But the book and the letter of James, now, uh, some scholars believe that it was written around 68 A.D., and at that time, if you understand history and church history, you understand that the church, the Jesus follower movement, was under heavy persecution, heavy persecution. And they were being persecuted by the people that were persecuting Christ, or Jesus 
as he was in his ministry, the, the ones that plotted his death, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they were persecuting these Jesus followers. They didn't know what to do with these Jesus followers. In fact, they were, the persecution was so fierce that they were pushing them out of the main city of Jerusalem. Now, when you read the book of Acts, you see that when the baptism of the Holy Spirit filled these believers, they were, they were not hiding, they were bold. They, they went out and did what God called them to do, and miraculous things were happening all around them. They were emboldened to mobilize and to send the message of Jesus all to the people around in their neighborhoods, in their cities, and the surrounding areas. They had this fire in them through the Holy Spirit. People were coming to faith in Jesus by the tens of thousands in this time. This was a movement that could not be ignored. It was transforming communities. And that's what was happening. And in, in, in that movement, there was also opposition. Now, to make matters worse is around 64 AD, there was this great fire in Rome that nearly destroyed most of the city. Some of you guys know this of history. And, and the legend has it that the emperor at the time, Nero, he blamed the Christians for that fire. And so, as you can understand, that that now brought more persecution from the Roman Empire. So not only were they being persecuted by their own people, being pushed out of Jerusalem, but wherever they went, there was also persecution happening through the Roman Empire. Now, this letter of James is written to these Christians that were pushed out and what he describes as being scattered. They were being persecuted and living under immense pressure. I want you to understand just the tone of what it would have been like for these early Christians that were living under those circumstances where the world was turned upside down and now they're getting this letter from this leader with instructions. Now, if I was to take the whole letter and, and, and boil it down to, to a theme and to a message, I believe it's this. I believe that, that James wanted his, his, his listeners those that were receiving this letter to know this and understand this, is what does real faith in Jesus look like in the real world? I think that's a question and, and, and a thing that we need to ponder as well, is what does, what does this faith look like in my world today? In my everyday, ordinary life, what does it look like to be lived out? Is it all just supposed to be head knowledge, or is it supposed to transform my life in such a way that people see a difference? They understand Jesus through watching my life and the way I live and treat others. This is a short book. It's only five chapters. I think it's like 108, uh, 108 verses. But, but as you read it, I want you to read it as a letter. Read it as in, read, take time in the study to, to read through it. It doesn't take long. But I believe that what James is going to get to is he's going to talk about faith. Faith in motion. He's going to talk about how what we believe should impact how we behave, that there should be a transformation through what we believe and who we believe in. Now, I think that when I say real Jesus, when I say real faith, this is what I mean by that. When I think of something being real, like I said, I think it's something that I can apply to my real life. Aren't you tired of, of, of hearing uh, messages that you feel like don't apply to you? That, the messages that you feel like, man, that's good knowledge, but how do I actually work this out every day, on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday? 
I love this book because it gives us some practical steps. It gives us some traction underneath our face so that we can learn to live this out. You know, um, this book is going to have lots of practical tools, lots of practical lessons. You know, some people call it uh, the, the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's so practical. But one important thing that we need to understand as we're going through this is, is, is studying this out of, of, of who is this author? Who, who was this man, James? Why was this letter so important? Well, first off, we have to know this. You might already know this, but, but some may not. Is that James is, is, is the half-brother of Jesus. James is the half-brother of Jesus. I say half-brother because we know that God was the father of Jesus and Mary was his earthly mom. But did you know that Joseph and Mary, they had other kids after Jesus was born? For some of you, that's just an aha moment. James is one of those kids. He's one of those kids that Joseph and Mary had, meaning that James grew up with Jesus as his older brother. I don't know about you, but isn't that kind of crazy to think about? Imagine growing up in a household where Jesus was the older brother. You know, I don't know about you, but... But, but I, I think of all these things that James could have experienced. You know, the interesting thing about James is that he doesn't become a follower of Jesus until after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, I think that's another proof of Jesus' deity to know this, is that, is, that, um, is that his family, his own brother, came to a place where he believed Jesus to be God. To be God. Now, if you have siblings or or, or your kids, you, can't, you can imagine why James would not believe his brother to be God growing up. You know, I kind of imagine growing up with Jesus, like Jesus is the older brother. I mean, it's already hard. Anybody who has an older brother or older sibling, it's really hard sometimes to always see them in a positive light. I'm sure, I'm sure it was very difficult for James. I'm sure it was hard for him to see Jesus. I can imagine Jesus was like the know-it-all, right? Or, or because he did know it all. Uh, I can see he was like the perfect child because he didn't sin. Except for the, you know, the, there was one time where the Bible tells us that when he was 12 years old, right, it, it, uh, Jesus did something that, that causes parents to, to, to wonder um, where Jesus was. You remember that story? You know, and, and I just imagine if James was around at that time, maybe he thought, oh, great, this time Jesus is going to get in trouble. You know, he probably heard his mom and dad talking about it and, and, and being startled and probably upset because they had to go back into the city. And he's like, oh, man, Jesus is hanging out with the wrong crowd, I bet. Oh, Jesus is probably doing something he's not supposed to do, I bet. And then he's probably so excited to see Jesus get on restriction or something. But what do we find out Jesus is doing? He's at church. <laughs> he's at the temple. What is he doing at the temple? He's listening and teaching and talking to the rabbis, right? So that was his chance, but it didn't happen, right? Jesus was a good kid. Poor James, right? However, you see that after Jesus' death, James experiences an encounter with the resurrection Jesus. And he gets discipled by Jesus' early followers. I mean, even his mom was a witness. Mary was a witness of the resurrected Jesus. And so you could see how his life was transformed when Jesus came back and, and, and spent time with his early followers. James, at that time, he goes all in. And following Jesus, he recognizes that he is Messiah. And James not only gets discipled, but he becomes a leader. And ultimately, he begins to pastor the largest church at the time, the Church of Jerusalem. 
Now, you read this in the book of Acts. It talks about the early church and the movement of the early church. And you see that James is one of the prominent figures there that is making decisions on, on, on some leadership decisions on the church. And eventually, he becomes a martyr for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's James. That's who's writing this letter. You know, knowing all this background... It's interesting to me as I get into this letter, as we get into this letter, that when he introduces himself, he doesn't introduce himself as Jesus' half-brother. That's a pretty cool title. That's probably what I would have done. Like, hey guys, this is Jesus' little brother. He doesn't even introduce himself as Mary's son. That's another cool title. Part of the family of Jesus. You know, he doesn't even introduce himself as the leader of this great church in Jerusalem. No, no. How does he introduce himself? Let's look at it in verse 1. He says, James, a servant, maybe your translation says, a bond slave of God and the Lord, capital L, God, Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. In other words, he's saying, he's introducing himself to these people, and he's saying, I am a servant of God. And as I serve God, I am serving his people. That's the intro. That's, that's how he kicks this off. Now, why is this important? I think a lot of times we roll through things really quick in Scripture, but there's always a message within the message. And I think the message is this, is do you see the tone of humility in James's heart through this? Because what's going to happen is as we dive into this, these passages and these chapters, we're going to see some strong teaching we're going to see some direct, uh, clear direction that's going to maybe for some of us be like cold water in our face. But do you see the posture of humility that he starts out with? Can we read through these passages with that spirit of humility that he wrote this in as he introed this and said, said, I am just a servant of God, bound to him. And as I serve God, I'm serving his people. That's humility. It's important that we understand that as it represents the tone of this entire letter. Every instruction, every correction comes with this attitude of humility in James. Now, he says, to the 12 tribes, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Who were the 12 tribes? When we see that, that is the Jewish people. That is the Jewish believers that were being persecuted again by their own people and by Rome. And they were scattered and they were dispersed throughout the nations. Now, many of us will not know what this is like. Many of us will not understand what it's like to be dispersed, to be pushed out of our homeland. Now, some of you might. Some of you, that might be your story and why you're here. But for many of us, we may not ever experience what that's about. But I believe that maybe we've all felt a bit scattered, haven't we? Have you ever felt scattered? I think right now is a season where we might feel a bit scattered, especially this past year, for many reasons, for many different things a person could feel scattered. I mean, right now we're living in a moment in time and in our nation's history and our world where things feel a little bit uncertain, don't they? You know, things that we held on to, things that we, conf- we, we felt secure in, it, everything's been shaken to the core. We're living in a place where we don't know sometimes where up and down is, uh, everything's just different. And it could cause there to be the sense of scattered feelings in our soul, in our hearts. Some things have remained through it, and there's a lot of things that haven't. 
and we're trying to learn how to work through this. We may feel perplexed, bewildered, and disoriented. That's a great word to describe sometimes how it feels to walk and move forward in this season, this new normal that the world has created. You know, this last year, I, you know, I think um, we were frustrated uh, last year at this time that we all had to wear masks, right? And now that we're seeing that things are changing, we're not as required, we're still, we feel funny not wearing a mask. <laughs> you know, it's just weird. It's just we feel scattered. We don't know where and how things will change. For some of us, it's the months, maybe for some of you, the years that you've been distanced from people, and now you're trying to re-engage, and you're realizing it's not as easy as you hoped it would be. See, we all feel a bit scattered. And I'm going to be honest with you right now as a pastor, I feel like our church is scattered a bit. It's hard. It's really hard. I, I look into the crowd. I, I, I connect with people, and I'm like, man, where are the people? The people of last year that were calling Grace Church home, are they still around? Because we just feel a bit scattered. On top of that, many of us are still trying to walk through and process some of the losses that we've had to walk through this past year, some of the challenges that we faced, that we're still facing. And so if that's you today, if you're here today, if you're listening, you're watching, I want to say that the biggest message today is that, is that God loves you. God knows where you're at. God's wanting to encourage you today. He's using this passage. This book of James is really going to help you build that traction under your faith so that you can move forward even when things feel scattered. See, faith moves you forward. And that's what we're talking about. That's what we're going to focus on is how do I get that kind of faith? How do I grow that kind of faith? How can I be that type of person in faith? And how do I put it into action? So in the next few weeks, we're going to unpack some themes that are coming out of this book. There's a lot of good themes. Number one is how do we handle our words? I think that's an important lesson we need to learn today. The other thing is how, what is pure and undefiled religion? How can I care for people who are oppressed? How do I handle my money and live generously? And more importantly, how do I understand and tap into the power of prayer? That's all in this letter. Like I said, it's a small letter, but it's got a lot of good stuff. But all these things that I mentioned, it all requires faith, faith in action. Now, what I love about James is that he pulls no punches. Right off the gate, he addresses the thing that's on top of the minds of everybody he, who he's speaking to in this moment, the original audience. He addresses the thing that's on their minds and on their hearts. He says this in verse 2. You can follow me verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. You know, this is one of those scriptures that's really easy to quote when everything's going good, right? But when a trial comes, it hits a little different. When a trial comes, when you're walking through hardship, you look at this, man, and you're looking at it, and I don't know about you, but I've looked through it. When I'm going through some trials and tribulations, and I look at it, I said, man, James, where's your empathy, bro? Why do you seem so callous? You seem so insensitive. You're saying that, that, that I need to, to, uh, to, to say that it's good when bad things happen? That it's a good thing when I have to endure bad things? How can that be good? Come on, let's, can we be honest this morning? So we look at that and we say, how can that be good? How can I consider it to be pure joy? Because see, nobody wants to live a life where there's some pain, right? 
Nobody wants to live life that's a little bit uh, where things are uncomfortable. But James says that there is a purpose within the pain and that there's something that you can gain in those moments of discomfort. He's going to lead us through that. He's going to walk us through that. He says if there's a thing that you can have joy stored up in your heart during those moments. Now he's saying this to followers who were being heavily persecuted at the time. Uh, followers who were having their possessions taken from them. Followers who were being pushed out to where they lived, from where they lived. Followers who had family members and, 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 and friends that were being incarcerated and some even being killed for their faith in Jesus. James himself was one who understood this very well in the heart of this fierce persecution. And yet he's able to say, you need to count it as joy. How can we do this? What does this mean? James is telling them that what you're going through can be for God's glory and can be for your good, no matter what it is. Because what you're going through in God's hands, in God's way, if you trust in God and what God can bring into your life through this, is it has that kind of effect. That God won't waste a moment. Whatever you're going through, God won't waste it. Any tough situation that you're going through, any circumstances you have to endure, God is going to be able to work it and work something in you and through you. Do you believe that in Jesus' name? right? I've seen it. I've walked it. And it's something that brings eternal value. See, we live in a culture today that says that hard equals bad. Hard equals bad. That if something is hard, then it must be a bad thing. Yet James, and when I read through scripture, I see that it tells us the opposite, that our hardships have the power to shape us and they have the power to change us to be more like Jesus when he was a man who was acquainted with suffering. He had to go through some hard things. And we can look to him as an example of how to continue to keep the faith. He goes on to say this. He says, whenever you face trials of any kind. I love that. And we have to understand this point. He says, whenever, not if, but he says, whenever you do, because we're all going to face some type of trial, some type of hardship at some degree. Some of you are in a very difficult time right now. God sees you. God loves you. And God is standing with you. He wants you to stand on this truth. But he's not going to waste that time. That it's in these trials these tough circumstances that we may have to walk through at times. And sometimes it's not something that's on a circumstance, but it's something that's internal. Have you ever walked through those trials, those deep ones that are working out in your life, in your heart, and in your mind? Those are some of the most difficult ones to walk through. Sometimes they come in the form of addictions that we just can't seem to get a handle on. Sometimes they come in the temptations that we can't say no to. But it's in those trials that we understand that, that, that they come in unexpected times, don't they? I mean, James, in the original language, he talks about this as being a surprise attack, like a moment that you're not aware of, not prepared for, kind of like an animal ready to pounce on its prey. Have you ever been hit with something like that in your life? I tell people all the time, we're always one phone call or one text away from a different life. Things could happen in a matter of seconds and days and moments. And so where... And how do you respond in those moments? See, sometimes we fall in this notion that if we follow Jesus, we will be immune from those moments. That we have this force field around us all the time. That, that, you know, and, that, and, and that's hard. See, I grew up believing this, that when I face something hard, it must, have, it must have meant that there's something wrong with me. 
You know, I grew up under a theology like that. Some, they said, man, if, if things aren't going perfect for you, then there's something wrong with you. There, there's something happening in you, and you're not spiritual enough. You don't have enough faith. Uh, you, 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 I would sit there, and I would try to dig up any type of sin, try to confess and say, God, you know, God must not be happy with me because I'm going through something hard. I think some of us have that background. We still have some of that filter in our minds sometimes. And I think this is dangerous theology because it produces self-righteousness and it produces a culture of shame. It also produces Christians that idolize comfort above all. They just look at their whole reason, the whole purpose is just to be comfortable. Hear me out. I'm not saying that you need to make yourself suffer. No, we can find that all on its own in this broken and fallen world. But what I am saying is that when you do suffer, be careful to avoid seeing it as a punishment from God. Right? You know, Jesus told his followers this on the day before he had to walk to the cross. He knew what was coming. He knew what was going to happen to his believers. He knew what they would have to endure, and it was not easy. It was hard. And he tells them this. He brings them together. And he says... I'm telling you these things so that you will have peace in those moments. It's John 6, He says, it's my peace. I don't give peace like the world gives peace, but I give you my peace from heaven. And he says, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trials. You will have hardships. He says, but don't lose heart because I have overcome. I am with you. Right? He says that over and over again. And so James is telling these people in the same moment that in these seasons in life where there's a, when, there, when there's hardships, when there is trials that you may have to walk through, he says there's a purpose behind it, that it's for God's good and for his glory and yours is, and your good as well. So why? Why would this happen? What, what does this all mean? Well, James gives us the answer. He says it is for the testing out of our faith. For the testing of our faith. In other words, to prove if our faith is real. Prove to who? Prove to God? No, God knows our heart. God knows. But to prove to ourselves. See, these trials, these hardships, when we go through these things, they expose and reveal our faith. See, many of us, we want strong faith, don't we? We do. We want strong faith. I hope you desire to have strong faith, to be a person of faith. So how do you think that faith is strengthened? through the trials, through the testing. It's kind of like stretching a muscle, right? See, if you ever want to get stronger physically, what do you do? You lift heavy things. If you want your faith to increase, what do you do? You stay faithful through trials, right? No, we want courage. We face scary things. So how do you, do you know what you have? How do you know what you can do unless it's tested. Faith's the same way. And the Bible tells us this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, he says that without faith it is impossible to please God. God wants us to grow in this area. He wants us our, test, our faith to be proven because it's in the testing of our faith that it develops perseverance for our lives and in our lives. And he uses this test because, see, a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. And that's what he's trying to do. That's what this 
is about. That's why he says this in verse 3. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces something. What does it produce? Perseverance. You know, the the Greek word for for this testing moment of our faith, it's not like a pass or fail test. Sometimes we think that. Oh man, if I if I don't if I don't hold on to this, if I don't do it just right, man, I'm gonna fail. Like there's like some report card in heaven, I'm gonna get an F in. But that's not what this means. It's not in the original language. The original language it actually describes uh, something. It, it's it's the same um, description of of how a a um, gold or silversmith refines its metals. What does it do? It puts it in in, in a hot fire. And as, as it starts to get to that degree where it starts to melt, what does it do? It, all of a sudden, the impurities come to the surface. And that goldsmith it, and silversmith, what do they do? They, they, they go in there and they, 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 they scoop it out. They remove it. And that process is, is repeated and repeated until that goldsmith, that silversmith, sees a reflection through that melted metal. See, God doesn't cause these trials but he does use the difficulties and these circumstances that we go into so that they could, they could bring up the impurities and they could expose what's in our life. That's why. When trials happen, we shouldn't be asking why because that's why. What we should be asking is what and how. Instead of saying, saying why, we should go to God and say, God, what should I do? How should I respond? Have you ever came to God in that way instead of just going and saying, oh, God, what is going on? Why is this happening? But saying, God, what should I do? How should I respond? What are you wanting me to see in me? See, trials, they test our faith, don't they? They, they humble us. They, they, they wean us from our dependence on earthly things. They call us to have a hope that is beyond what we see and a hope that is eternal. They reveal to us what we really love, don't they? What's really important to us. They help us to value the blessings of God. And more importantly, when you go through a trial, when you go through something like this, what does it do? It, it gives you empathy for others, don't, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but when I go through something and I have to go through something, man, I always have more compassion and more empathy for those around me. I start to see things in a whole new light, and I get to have uh, compassion, and I know how to pray, and I know how to encourage them better because I've gone through some things. So you really can't know the depth or the character of yourself until you see how you react under pressure. That's what it should reveal. See, it's easy to be kind to other people when everything's going well. It's a whole other thing to be kind with people when they're not treating you well. See, joy comes in knowing that I can reflect God. I can reflect his heart. I can reflect who he is even in the midst of while I'm going through this trial. That's where our joy comes from. And in order for us to grow, in order for this to increase, in order for our faith to grow, we have to be okay with this process. This process is going to be a bit uncomfortable. Because let me tell you this, growth and comfort does not coexist. There's going to have to be those moments. Verse 4. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and and complete and not lack anything. See, when we persevere, it means that we are steadfast, that that we are consistent, and that we can grow in endurance. And all those things, they take time. They take time. 
Now, the root word here, when it says don't lack anything, it, it describes this. It describes stacking of weight. You know, if you've ever had to lift weight, you know, or, or, you know, weight lift or anything like that in the gym, you understand that you don't start off with heavy weight. No, you learn to stack weight, right? You start off little and you keep stacking and stacking until your strength grows with it, right? And that's what he's saying. He's saying it's, it's, it's the stacking of weight, and that weight, when you trust in God and you learn to persevere through a hardship, through a trial, it's like stacking weight in your life. And that weight becomes an anchor for your soul. So that when the storm happens and the world around you shakes, you will be grounded in the truth because it's been tested. Have you ever met somebody like that? Have you had that experience this past, past year when everybody was panicking and yet there was people who were solid because they had that weight? holding them down. That's what this means. It's how you build that. You know, any parents in the room, I think it's really important that we teach this to our kids. Teach them to persevere. You know, a lot of times we want to protect them from hard things. Can I be real? <laughs> I see that a lot in parenting. I think a lot of times we, because we just, we just want to protect, we just love our kids, we want to protect them, and, and we try to do everything to make things real easy for them, but I think we, we lack teaching them this important lesson of how to endure, how to push through, how to persevere through tough things. I think the best way we can teach our kids is to be an example to them, to let them see us persevere, to push through, to trust in God. More importantly, allow them to work through some hard things so they can learn to push through, that they can learn to stay faithful, they can learn to draw strength from the Holy Spirit. See, that's the hardest thing as a parent to watch them, right? Do this on their own, but this is the important thing we have to learn is to let them, let that grow in them. See, love is not removing obstacles from our kids. Love is teaching them how to overcome these obstacles while they're in your care. Don't rob your children from the opportunity to stack the weight of perseverance in their life. They will be an anchor for their soul when they leave your home. All right, that's our job as parents. Now, you're going to have wisdom and discernment, and James is going to talk about how to grow in that wisdom and discernment, but it's like learn how to do this with your kids. Show them how to do this because soon they're going to be out in the world, and if they have not learned this lesson, they're going to go with the wind and the waves. But we want them to be grounded in truth. How do you become wise? How does somebody become wise? By being able to fail once in a while, right? Because what do we do? When we fail, we learn from that, hopefully. <laughs> we grow. How do you become brave and resilient? By facing things that are difficult and realizing that you can overcome it. See, God wants the same thing for his children. He wants that for you and I. He knows that we live in this broken and fallen world, yet he'll allow us to go through these trials and tribulations, not to destroy us, but to build us up and to make us stronger people. And through his spirit, he says that we can. He not only guides us through this, this is the great news about, about the God that we serve. He's not just the God who guides us through this, but he's a God who can identify with us in these struggles, in these hardships, in these moments where we're trying to push through and it's hard says that we can rely on Jesus. What does the Bible say? I'm going to close out with this. It's Hebrews chapter 4. He says, for we do not have a high priest. What's a high priest? A high priest was an intercessor, an in-betweener, one that represents God to the people and the people to God. 
Do you know that Jesus is that one for us? He is our great high priest. He is our representative. He is the one that represents us. And it says this God, he is able to empathize with our weakness in our hard times, in our struggles, in these times where our faith is being tested. He is one that identifies. He knows what it's like to go through this this life. And he says that he has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet, he overcame. Yet, he's without sin. Yet, he made it through. And that's our leader. That's the one we follow. And it says, because of that, friends, listen to this. Because of that, when we're going through these testing moments, when we're going through these hard times, when we're trying to press through, it says that we can have access to the throne room of God's grace or to the throne room of grace to God's eternal presence, that we get access to him in these moments and he will identify and understand our hearts and what we're going through and we can just spill our guts to him and he can just pour in the strength that we need. He can tap into that. He says that's what we have access to. That's good news. And he says in those moments we will receive, what will we receive? We'll receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you know, friends, that is a promise from God to anyone here today that might feel like, man, I'm just trying trying to push through, through your trials, through these testing moments where your faith is being stretched. We have access to God's throne. We have access to receive what God wants to give us, and that's grace in our time of need. I love that. You know, Paul struggled with this at times where he was trying to push through and not give up, and yet God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm here to tell somebody today, his grace is sufficient for you. He's going to see you through. And he says this, he says, let's persevere. Let perseverance finish its work. I think there's too many of us that are giving up right now. We're letting go. And he's telling you, stand firm. Hold on. Don't quit. There's a lot of people right now that are just quitting. He's saying, hold on. Let the faith be tested. Allow your faith to be stretched so that you can mature and you can grow and not lack anything. That's God's desire for you and I. Why don't we serve a good God? He doesn't leave us to figure this out on its own, but he's given us instructions. He's given us comfort. He's given us his word, his direction to walk this out. One, we need to understand that we're not alone in this. Number two, God's already got a way. We just got to tap into that this morning. So if you're here in person, will you stand to your feet this morning? I want us to respond to this word. Now, I know some of us, some of us are like, man, I, I don't feel like I'm going through anything hard right now. But let this be something that I treasure in my heart because I know the day will come. We're going to work through something in our life that's going to be way in over our heads. And we're going to need to tap back into this message today. And then maybe some of you, there's some heavy hearts in this room, and I'm asking for you to respond in faith right now and say, God, I'm just going to let this go. I'm going to receive your word today. I'm going to trust in you. I want to get into your presence right now, and I want to receive all you have for me because of what Christ has made a way for. Maybe for some of us, man, we're just way too comfortable in our faith. We've never allowed this moment this time, this testing, and we've just become way too comfortable. I want to tell you, man, if, you, if your faith is way too comfortable, then 
I'd be questioning where is your faith really in? Because it will be stretched. It will be proven. It will be refined. We trust the Lord in that process. Let's pray. Father, I just lift up anyone here in this room today, God, that in this moment right now, God, they say, God, I need you. It's such a powerful prayer, God, because it's a prayer of humility, in humility. This is, God, I can't do this without you. And God, you respond to those prayers. God, you respond to the heart that is saying, God, I need you. And you've been waiting for us to let go of control, let go of our own way, Lord, and release ourselves and say, God, I need you. So whoever that is, God, in this room or watching online, God, would you right now, Lord, let them just have this moment of release so that they can receive what you have for them today. God, maybe for some of us here, God, we've just hold on to something and saying, God, I'm afraid to let this go because I know what this means. God, it's going to really test my faith. But I want them to see and them to know right now in this moment, God, that you got them, that you're with them, that you're going to be with them through this and that this is good for them, that they're going to be able to work through it and build that weight of perseverance in their soul so they will not be shaken for the days ahead. But whatever happens, Lord, they're secure and anchored into your truth and your word. We love you, God. We thank you for this reminder, God, that you are with us, that you never leave us nor forsake us, and that your presence is enough for us. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen. We'll be blessed today. Be blessed today. I'm excited for what God is going to continue to show us and bring to us. Uh, We love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us. There's plenty of ways to get connected here at Grace Church. Find us on social media by searching Grace Church Federal Way or visit our website in the link below. Have a blessed week.